Hi everyone, welcome back to the First Gen Friends podcast. In this episode, I sit down with the creator of the Moneda Moves podcast, which covers Latinos, business, and their relationship with money. We discuss her upbringing in Chicago, how school made a huge impact in her life, and her main motivation to get where she is today, and why talking about building generational wealth is so important to her. She also has a Moneda Moves newsletter, which you should definitely check out on her Instagram, and I will tag it, I promise. And she's just an all-around incredible storyteller and advocate for the Latino community, and I could have talked to her for hours. (laughs) I'm so excited for you to listen to my next guest. This is Leanne. Leanne, welcome to First Gen Friends. So excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love the name of this podcast and everything that you've been doing so far. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. I usually like to start with the very beginning, which is our parents coming over to the U.S., right? And what their journey was like. Where are your parents from and where did you grow up? Um, So my parents grew up in two small towns outside of Guadalajara, Jalisco. Um, my mom is from a town called Sayula, not to be confused with Sayulita, which is a beach town, uh, in Mexico. She's, she's more of like a small town kind of girl. Uh, and she grew up, uh, lower middle income and my dad grew up very poor, uh, but in a different city called Ciudad Guzman. And they met, uh, while they were going to school in Guadalajara proper, um, and really they, they both had a kind of academia, the working towards academia under their belt. My mom a little bit more. She, she graduated with her degree in like Spanish literature. Um, but my dad kind of had other ambitions just growing up super, super poor. And I think like, you know, educate, like academic education perhaps didn't always come as easy to him, but he did think that there was just a lot of opportunity, um, across the border and he had some cousins across the border And so my dad was the person who immigrated first across the U.S. And, you know, I think, honestly, like, I I, I don't know how many details as as of this point I can share because I'm still trying to figure out the immigration story myself, which has been a big part about growing up and just kind of interviewing my parents as to how they got here. But it's just like, you know, there, there was no set path. There was no blueprint. And so my dad came over because he had cousins over here that were working in agriculture and in construction. He was really eager to see what he could make of himself in this country that promised people with an entrepreneurial mindset so much. And so he at first moved out to Sacramento. My mom and dad dated for 10 years, but uh, they remained dating while my dad was out here. He moved to Sacramento. He was going to work in agriculture, realized he didn't really want to work in agriculture and was lucky enough to have another cousin out in Chicago working in construction who said, hey, I may have an opportunity for you. Uh, long story short, in Chicago, his, his cousin was help, able to help him get um, get set up with papers uh, with his green card to start working here. And then a few years later, brought my mom over. And so I was born in Chicago could have been a, a Sacramento baby, but I ended up being a Chicago baby. And I am very happy that I was because I honestly can't think of a better city to have grown up in and to better understand um, what it means to be Latina and what it means to be Mexican um, than in Chicago, uh, where you kind of get you get a sense of like there's a lot of Mexicans here and there's a lot of pride, but at the same time, you get a lot of diversity. Mexicans don't really, they don't alone run this town. There's a huge black population here. 
Um, there's, and I grew up in environments where I was also surrounded by a big Asian and Polish population. So uh, definitely got a lot of diverse exposure growing up. And I feel very lucky to have been in that position. And still is a very diverse city. It's a super diverse city. I mean, and, and I think that part of the reason I experienced all that diversity, though, I don't think that a lot of kids in my position did. I grew up in the northwest side of Chicago in a low-income Mexican neighborhood. And so a lot of the kids that I grew up with didn't leave that neighborhood um, it, because in Chicago, even though it's very diverse, it's among the most segregated cities in the country. And so I grew up with this, like, perception of um, – hey, like I got a chance to leave the hood, but not everyone does, you know, like it, we straddled an area where um, there were gangs in either direction. And actually, I think we we sat where we sat exactly. And I don't know exactly all the divisions of the gang lines, but we definitely were in the middle of like two different opposing groups. And so there was just a lot of tension in that neighborhood. Um, again, lower income neighborhood and in Chicago, um, taxes go into the local schools. And so the quality of your education directly correlates with how much, like the average income in that area, how much taxes, how many taxes are being contributed to, um, to the local schools, and then how much the city pours into it. And the city pours the most into already affluent areas. So my neighborhood wasn't getting the best quality education. And I think my mom being, um, having studied Spanish literature, and she taught some in Mexico before immigrating, she realized that I wasn't getting the quality education that I should be. Um, I also, it was, I was entering second grade, didn't know any English really, very little English. Um, and she was like, it's something we need, something has to change. And my parents didn't have the money to like put me in a boarding school or a private school or anything of that sort. So my mom ended up just talking to like anyone she could in Spanish, talking to the local aldermen, finding out what opportunities there were. One of them was what they call the lottery system. So literally by the luck of the draw, got put in a school that was a language arts school that was all the way up on the Northeast side, which was in a much more affluent neighborhood higher tax bracket. And that's how I got exposure to such diversity uh, of income status of race, um, and also began to le learn English in a more serious way, which led to my career I have today. So I think my path is very unlike a lot of the kids that grew up in my neighborhood. And I was very keenly aware of that at a young age. Wow, that's really interesting. Do you think about what your life could have been had you not won that lottery? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I think my mind would have, or my life would have been great still. Like I see so many people in Chicago that didn't get access to these opportunities and they just, that just means they, they excelled differently. But that also means that they didn't get the same shot at excelling, right? Um, they, because you, if your reality is like, hey, you know, past eight o'clock in my neighborhood, some like really not great stuff happens, you know, like if that's your perception of reality, if your perception of reality, hey, the park isn't safe at, after this hour, hey, we don't have all the resources we need in order to get our work done, like that's like it, your world is limited. And so I think that it really expanded my world um, to be able to go to a different neighborhood, to go to school. And I do think that kids that grew up in neighborhoods like my own were still able to excel but they needed to like connect with the right people, you know, because as a, as a, as a kid, you're very impressionable. Like my parents tried their best, but they didn't have the resources to help me in that way. Um, and so I think a lot of people were faced with that. And that's why now coming back to Chicago, I spent my last eight years in New York, but coming back to Chicago, I just feel like a, a great responsibility 
to um, give back, to figure out ways to work in the community um, and really harp on the importance of education, not even just structured education as academia requires, but just like letting today's youth know that there are different ways to do it. There are different opportunities. And I think Chicago is a great place to, to see that because there's so many hustlers here. There's so many people that didn't go the traditional route of academia, but now they've started their own shops and their own businesses and they've done it their way. And I think that there's something really great about that too. When you mentioned how you think your life would still have been great, I also think about all the people that have it within them to really strive for a better life, no matter what their circumstances are, even if they don't get those type of opportunities. Because I think about me and my brothers, right? Same household. I went to college. I excelled. I went into big tech and they didn't go to college. They never had that academia bone in them that they wanted that I wanted at least um so it's really interesting to see like what all the variables are for someone's life and takes them into that trajectory into specific industry or job or anything like that but you still succeed right because you have it inside you that you're gonna work your ass off and do the best you can in this track yeah. And I mean, I don't know if your um, siblings went to like a trade school or like, was it just apprenticeships? Just apprenticeship. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think, I think there's a, you know, and not everybody wants to center the career in their life. And I think that there's room for that too, right? Like some people yeah. are passionate about things outside of their career. And I think that that's totally fine. But I do think that we need more options for today's youth rather than like the traditional go to high school and then go to college. Like, I think that I see that uh, to, at least to the youth I speak to today, like I see like a little bit of um, like a, a departure from that way of thinking from and, and more of just like I'd rather just go to a specialty school or a trade school or like go into an internship for exactly what I want to do. Um, so I do hope that we see more of those kind of opportunities for alternative kinds of education, for sure. Do you feel any sense of the cultural difference being that you came from this lower income area to what sounds like upper class, maybe middle upper class mm-hmm. schools? Um, what was that like for you? What was that change? <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely like middle class and middle upper <laughs> a little bit, but I, I, I would say that. I think honestly, as a, as a second, second, third grader, I was too much of a kid to even notice. Like I was my head was up in my, in my books. Like I, I spent a, a ton of time at the library and, um, I, I, I don't think I really cared for the differences. I was kind of an introvert too. Um, I think it was probably when I was older and I tested into high school based on my, um, like testing score. And I landed in like the top public school in the city uh, for like based on your testing score because this wow. elementary school had prepared me in such a way. But honestly, I was such an introvert in, in elementary that it's just like I would go to school and I would go home. I didn't really hang out. I like I, I, I they provided like a public like a bus for the first, I think, two years. But then they discontinued it uh, to the area I was in because it was honestly too far, I think, for them. And so then I started taking the CTA, which was an hour each way. So I was like, I'm going to get into school and I'm going to get the heck out. I'm going to go home. And also I want to get home far before curfew uh, that my parents had set, which was eight o'clock. So honestly, not super eventful in elementary school. I was kind of boring. I would go to the library and that was about that. Um, And like do the science fair. I was a big nerd. But 
uh, I would say that in high school, I really like just really would start exploring my social side. You know, I wanted to have friends. And I think that that's where I noticed I was like, oh, there is quite a difference between the income status and the lifestyle that some of my friends had and that I had. I don't feel like I was honestly treated any different, but it came up in like, um, like events, outings, you know, and how hesitant I was. I remember there was like a camping, a camping trip that was planned of sorts for like uh, high school students, like when they were just freshmen. And I looked at the price and I was like, there's no way I'm not even going to ask my mom and dad. And I'm just like, I need to work my summer job in order to make that money. And I just, when you're working minimum wage and you're working as kid, you respect your money and you don't have an allowance from your parents. Like I respected my money too much. I was just like, you know, I can socialize at school. I can socialize after school, like at the coffee shop after getting pizza, a slice, dollar slice pizza, like whatever it is. And so I didn't go on this camping trip. Um, I think that that was the biggest thing. It was money. It was money, but I tried for it not to be a big thing. You know, I was just like, okay, where can I join for like the least amount of community for the least amount of money there? That was like part of the fashion club or something. I, was, I think I was a part of like for a brief stand part of the art club did like the journalism, the newspaper thing. And so that's where I really started to just like really learn about what other, other people had lived like. And I was just like, okay, this is different. But to me, I don't know. There was something about it that I was just like, I still didn't like, sure. I felt sometimes insecure because I'm just like, you know, I behave differently. I carry myself differently, but I was just like, that's I'm like, it's so clear because I was, I was raised differently. And it's funny. I didn't invite my high school friends to my place until graduation day when my dad was like, bring them over. Let's have a carne asada. And I bring my friends, which is like a mix of like Irish, Polish people, some Mexican, Latino people. Um, and it's so funny. I remember one of my friends came over and was like, Leanne, you live in the hood. And I was just like, I have never called it the hood, but like, you know, <laughs> this is the neighborhood. Welcome. You know, we have graffiti. Like, what do you mean like, by that? Like, where, like, where have you been? Have you never come to this side of town? Because I've been going to your side of town for the last four years. Um, no, but all, all, all jokes aside. Um, yeah, I definitely think that it, I, I was able to code switch too from a really early age. And so then by high school, it was like second nature. And then by getting to the workplace, I was like, been there, done that, you know, <laughs> like I've been code switching all my life since the second grade. So we've been here. We're good. Um, it's, it's, it's just funny how like that actually helped me for like all the different environments that I would transit later in life. But I think I was just like, you know, this is, this is me and I'm, and I'm here and I'm, and I'm showing up like in the, in the chameleon ways that I have for the last like 20 plus years of my life. Like, how is this any different? Right. Yeah. I know that feeling. Cause I've done it my whole life as well. So I get that. And sometimes I'd get jealous of people who didn't code switch. I'd be like, why aren't you code switching? You know, like someone who looked like me, I'm like, why are you acting the way, you know, like, why are you acting why are ghetto? You the way you <laughs> You know what's funny though? People I can't I kind of know this about us. That's so funny because I feel like I experienced the reversal. I think like my like my resting my resting state became like corporate. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like, after so many years of code switching, my resting state, what I became most comfortable in, I was just like, oh, you know, this is me. I like am very like. I don't know. People always say I'm really well-spoken. I find that to be very funny because I feel like I speak like a scientist. I don't speak in like direct terms. I'm always like, it's like an, it's like a Boolean term. That's how I speak because that's how like school taught me to speak. And that's how I've always spoken. But it's, it, I did kind of the reversal, the, re the reversal of the, 
of the academiaization of the corporatization when I did in college start getting more curious about my Mexican background and I, I befriended some Chicano kids basically. I befriended some kids from California who were like the activist type, the artist type, the, and it was like, it was crazy. That was probably the hardest. It was harder than being in rooms full of like white kids or like super like diverse. And that was harder because it was like, I'm Mexican, but then I was getting called out on like, wait, well, why don't you know your, your Chicano history, the United Farm Workers Movement? Why don't you know your, your Mayan Aztec? Like, why don't you have these books? And I was just like, I don't know. I've been I've been spending all time reading like Great Gatsby and like English literature. Like, what, what do you want from me? You know, <laughs> and I think it took a while to forgive myself and be like, listen, actually, this is normal because we're all products of our environment. And like, actually, you need to sit down. You need to calm down because there's a bunch of things I could school you on <laughs> while you're trying to school me right now on on what it means to be Mexican. But I but I think it was necessary for me to have that part of life because it made me very curious. It made me very curious about what being Mexican in the United States really means and how that manifests in so many different places. Like being a Mexican in Chicago is so different than being a Mexican in New York, being a Mexican in LA, being a Mexican in Texas. And I became very, very curious about it. And so I read a ton about it. Um, and I feel like it gave me so much more perspective and it helped me place myself in the like world of like being Latina and being Mexican. Um, and it made me more prideful, honestly. It made me want to embrace it even more. Uh, and it was just like a very beautiful thing to have. But I didn't have that until like college, which is crazy. Well, yeah, because you're almost in that survival mode as a kid because you you are your environment, right? So you need to fit in and you need to make sure you're being appropriate with this group versus your family, you know? So it's that code switching piece, right? Mm -hmm. So when you get older, there are, you meet people that were like, I was myself the whole time, you know? And I'm like, oh, yep. <laughs> like, yep. did you struggle? <laughs> Yep, exactly. You mentioned that a lot of your childhood brought you to what you're doing today. Can you talk about that? And what, what are you doing today? What's your side hustle? Like, tell me everything. Yeah. In terms of how I arrived at my career. So funny story. My dad named me after a journalist, Leanne Melendez, Melendez. And she's a Puerto Rican who used to be part of the uh, ABC7 crew here in Chicago. So she'd be on air. She'd do investigative reporting. And my dad thought she was really cute. You know, she's like, he's like, she does great reporting and she's really cute. And then he, he told me, he decided to tell my mom, who obviously was like, <laughs> and he, he's like, let's name her Leanne. My mom wanted to name me something like Maria. She's like, Maria, you know, it's very traditional, very Catholic. Right? Yeah. And my dad's like, what about Leanne? You know, she, she comes on ABC. I like her reporting. I like her. And my mom's just like, fine, whatever. She like let my dad win on that one. Um, and so I, I was, I was, I was always curious, you know, like as somebody who like always has asked questions, you know, I don't think I was as in tune with my Mexicanness growing up other than what my parents, you know, gave me, but it's different than learning being Mexican American. In any case, I was curious about who I was named after. And I found out she was a journalist. And I was like, well, what does this career look like? And I've always been nosy. I've always been chatty and nosy. So I was like, wow, this sounds like actually a great career for me. Like, let's try that out. And that was really early on, like in, in elementary school. And so I would, when I got into elementary school and I started learning English, I, I quickly fell in love with writing classes. There was a really great elementary school teacher I had, Mr. Renfro, and he would do like a lot of short story writing, a lot of coaching around that. And I, again, like I said, I spent a lot of time at the library. So I really, I think my foray into journalism was through writing. I really liked writing. I liked writing stories. 
And I was fascinated by other people's lives. I think like finding connection in like people that, uh, in stories that were so different from you on the surface, like I just got some kind of thrill out of it. So I went ahead and I studied it for college. I, in high school, I did all the usual like newspaper stuff in the, in, in high school. There was also a city paper, the Chicago Tribune that had a youth program. I was a part of that. Um, and in college, I continued to do it, continued to do internships. And when I graduated, uh, I had a stint at the New York Times. And then I flew straight out to New York because it's the number one market. And that's where I spent my last seven to eight years before moving back. So as a lot of Americans, <laughs> I am doing now side gigs. So I work full time in tech. I do content strategy, which harps on a lot of the things that I learned during my time in full-time journalism. And then on the side, I, I'll freelance. I write about Latinos and money a lot um, because I saw when I was in the journalism industry and working on business news that there was a huge gap um, where I thought there was a huge opportunity because Latinos are huge producers of businesses, not just consumers, and there needed to be more reporting to like represent that. So I created a media brand around it called Moneda Moves. It's a podcast as well. I'm a fan of the podcast world. Um, and then I also freelanced it to continue generating those headlines. And I think we're headed in the right direction. I mean, I, I, we're, we're building companies that are raising more than a million dollars. We are contributing a ton to the economy and workers and, and revenue. So I, I think we're, we're headed in the right direction for sure. In the amount of time that you've been doing that, how much impact or what impact have you seen you've made so far? Yeah, I think that during the pandemic, uh, it's interesting because I started the newsletter, uh, just it, it was a passion project. It wasn't making too much of it. it I started it in 2017, I want to say, but it really, and it was like on and off for a while, but it really picked up during the pandemic. And I think because there was just such attention after the whole George Floyd um, murder, uh, attention to inequity in our society, to race and inequity. Um, and money kind of sits is, is one of the things that sits at the heart of it. We're at a, we're in a capitalist system. Money runs a lot of things in our society. And so obviously black people were for forefront and center of that conversation, but so were Latinos. So were Asian communities. And I think that because I had already been doing that work, it got picked up a lot during that time. Um, in terms of like getting opportunities to speak to to big rooms of people to from like students to young professionals about the history of latinos and money and really exemplifying the power that we have in this economy and that minority isn't really a great word to describe our population because we're actually the majority in many cases um uh, in terms of new business creation for example and in, in terms of population growth and what's expected for the next few decades so I think that in terms of the impact that I've made, it's always been great to see big rooms of people. I think what's most gratifying is when I he re like hear a reach out from somebody who is like, it, I mean, I've heard from people all over. Like when I look at the age demographic of people that I interact with, it's it's late Gen Z to like late millennials. So it's quite a big swath of group of people, but they all identify with this feeling of like, hey, we're Latinos, we're first builders, not necessarily first gen, but first builders, like either like in our family, we just had the opportunity to build this generational wealth or we are first gen and we are building first gener generational wealth. And like, you know, there's no blueprint, like we're out here doing the thing. And so we need to talk about, we need to talk about what all that comes with, like from a financial perspective, but also from like an emotional perspective, because it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to do. Like there's no roadmap on how to do this. But we're all, there's a lot of people out here being the first to build. 
And I think we're very powerful when we kind of share insights and come together as community. I wanted to know a little bit about when you were younger, did you have an American dream? Yeah. You know, what's interesting when I was younger, I feel like the way that like the concept of America, the way that it was preached in class was like, we're a melting pot. You know, like I watched a ton of Sesame Street. I was a totally Sesame Street kid. Like I would watch Sesame Street this close to the screen. Mom's like, that's why you're her four eyes. She's like, that's Wait, my mom used to say that to me too. Yeah, you were yeah. like- <laughs> she would be like, she'd be like, get away from the screen. Why are you so close to it? And I'd be like- I That is like, so funny. So many of us kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I feel like for some reason that, and maybe like the feeling of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like Love. to me as a kid- and maybe even Barney, like these childhood programs, like actually, I think in addition to the way to what school taught us, right? Like shaped a lot of what I thought America was. Um, and, and in some ways good, I think the, the, the shows were actually pretty good, but like yeah. the school, the school, some, in some ways, not so good. Like, I think that like the shows taught me like, oh, there were actually diverse kids on the program. I don't know if you noticed, like Sesame Street's actually yeah. a very progressive show, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I think I'm very lucky to have seen that. And so in the American dream, I was like, oh, we're in a community where like, I look outside growing up, I look outside my window and I see, you know, um, Latino kids, Mexican children everywhere. And we're all lower income and we're all kind of going through it. But in this like m- mythical Sesame Street, like you have, you have people who are of different skin tones and of different experiences who are all just talking to each other and, you know, building something beautiful. And, and so I think that that created a notion of America to me that I wanted to be a part of. Like I wanted to be in a space where like, I was like, okay, this is my reality right now. But I feel like in my head, it was so much more expansive. I was just like, oh, I, you know, like this, this is, this is what I want. I want all of the things I want to, uh, put myself and my identity in a place where I am challenged to see new things and talk, have new conversations. And it's so funny because like moving to New York, I feel like is the epitome. Like I would, I don't know if it would be like Sesame street, but it's just like, it's like, Whoa, you know, it's like an explosion <laughs> of like culture and like everybody from the world coming together. And I, I remember my first day in New York so clearly because I could hear so many different languages being spoken and so many different skin tones and so many different looking people and dress like, and I was just like so overstimulated by it. And it was just like Sesame street on steroids, honestly, uh, (laughs) to me. And so, but, but I mean, you asked about the American dream. I think that that was part of it. I think the other part of it was once I got into this lottery school, the, the dream of, uh, a lot of things are possible. Like, like, uh, I think in school and and what we actually learned in our lesson plans could have been more diversified when we were in elementary school. But in high school, I I started to see like, oh, wow, like one of my teachers wrote political speeches for Obama because I went to this really impressive high school. That was the kind of access that I had. And I was just like, wait, 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 wait. This girl from, as some of my friends would call it, the hood in Chicago um, (laughs) is now talking to somebody who was one degree of separation to Obama and actually wrote speeches. I was just like, if I'm here now in high school, like, like I, I, I'm just like, not everything is possible. It's kind of like a, like a multi-dimension, like everything everywhere all at once kind of like opening of doors that you're just like the moment you can picture yourself in a room with someone, you're just like, the dreams are infinite. And so I think that I don't, I don't know that that I would call it the American dream though, 
because the American dream, as it was preached in, um, I don't even know if it was school necessarily, but like popular media was like white picket fence, home, two kids and a dog and a partner. I don't think that ever was for 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 me alone. I'm I'm just like that. Sure, like that sounds nice, but I'm just like I want as somebody who grew up in a place where like it it was like society kind of pointing at you and saying like this is the designated identity for you and the designated life you should live. I kind of saw around me and then I was just like, no, there's actually limitless opportunities and there's a huge opportunity to shape the life in the way that I want it to. And so I'm very happy to say that like today I'm in the process of that. Like, you know, like I have some, ex I don't have all the experience, but I have some decent amount of experience under my belt to like be on that journey to shape the, the life that I want. And I think that that's, that's my like anti-American American dream. Like it's not all capitalistic. It's not all about the family. It's also a lot about the self, um, but it's a, a lot about community too. Like that Sesame Street vision, you know, of being surrounded by people that you are inspired by, that you learn mm -hmm. from every day, that like really like, I don't know, like, like this is what life's about. This is what we're here for. We're here to learn and experience and build and I, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it does. I think what's really cool about your answer is that you didn't fall into that media idea of what it was, as so many people do, you know, like mm -hmm. the white fence, the dog, the car, the perfect relationship. I think we all saw that and we're like, that's what we, that's how you know you made it. Like my parents, we never owned our house. So my dad would always be like, one day you're, you, you need to buy a house. Like, that's how you know you've made it. And I'm like, mm the people I know today who own a house are miserable because they're broke, <laughs> you know, like they don't. I mean, in New York, it's hard. It's hard. And you know, part of the yeah. reason I moved back to Chicago is to buy a house, but it's funny because I've arrived at that conclusion for, I think different, actually, no, similar reasons to my dad, because my dad has always been very entrepreneurial. Like the, the, the conclusion I arrived to for buying a house is a business case and yeah. Chicago is yeah. far more affordable. And so I was yeah. just like, okay, I love New York, but Chicago is where it's at if I want, um, if I want this passive, at least for this part of my life. And I know that that's just part of my life. Like that doesn't mean I have to be here forever. Also, um, like there is no limit to when we're supposed to do these things. Like we have our right. whole entire life. Like why am I going to buy a house when I'm 30 when I could do it when I'm 50? And like, you know, like I just don't think it's such a rush to do these, have these milestones in life because everyone else is doing them. And I think it's social not. media has a huge, you know, influence on that. I think that social media is also having like an anti to that movement. It's funny because I just wrote, I just finished writing an article um, about real estate and real estate purchasing among the Latino community. Oh. And Latinos are actually purchasing quite a bit of real estate um, because there's a lot of multi-generational living. So a lot of them get signed on as co-signers with their parents or they're buying homes for their parents to yes. live in with them. Um, but th in social media, there's starting to be a wave of people who are like, I don't, I also don't really want to buy like if, if no. cause it, 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 and to a certain degree, like it could be that you're, you would be cost burdened or that you have the privilege to say like, I actually just want to move around right now. I don't want to be tied down to a mortgage. Like I, I just want to move. I know somebody who talks about this often is Delian Barros, uh, who mm -hmm. is a financial money coach and big on social media. And she's like, listen, I could buy a home. I don't really want yeah. to. She lives in San Diego. Yeah. She's just like, it doesn't really make sense to do it here. So I think she's moving to Portugal. We have no interest. 
Yeah. I think she's straight up. Oh, yes, I saw that. I saw that. It's true. I feel like you're right. There is this wave of like, what's the point of that? If because then you're stuck there, like we especially my husband and I, like we're very much always on the go. We're always traveling. He's traveling for work. I'm tra- like, we're always moving around. Yeah, that just ha- putting all this money into it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, well, it, I mean, and it's about the market too, you know? Like if, yeah. if I, I don't want to speak for Delianne, but if I lived in San Diego, for example, I also would be like, hey, no, it's not worth it me buying a property here. Yeah. If I could buy property in Chicago and live in it for, for a while and later rent it out, that that probably still makes sense. Yeah, um, you're still you know, making it's, income. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's about the market that you're in. So I, I appreciate yeah. that there's people who are just like straight up like, no, I don't want to buy or I don't want to buy for these reasons. I think we really need to expand our mindsets in terms of what is considered successful, you know, and yeah. that's all determined by our values. Yeah, exactly. What advice would you give either your younger self or what are some of the things you wish you had someone tell you? Yeah, I wish. Watch Sesame Street. <laughs> Watch Sesame Street, Sesame Street MVP. Honestly, I hope it's still on public television. Um, I think it is. Good, good, as it should be. Um, I think I would say you know more than you think you know. I wish someone would have told me that. I was always so hungry to, and even up till recently, even now, I need to challenge myself. I was so hungry for as an academic like me for approval of someone else. So hungry mm. to to read from the experts about every single topic to get yes. the accolades, to get the approval um, in an in a SAT and ACT world. And in, in some of the standardized testing, I kind of sucked too. So I was just like kind of like surprised that I got into the top school. Um, know that you know more than you think you know. And don't let society try to tell you that you are less intelligent than you have a feeling that you are. Um, and, 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 and that doesn't mean just sit with it and be like, cool, I'm good. I don't have to do any work. It, it, it's, it's to say like, believe, like, it's just like, it's cheesy, but like, believe in the intelligence that you believe you have. And I'll put that to work. Like, aplicate, go, go, go find that apprenticeship, go find that internship, go cold message or approach that business owner that you're like, oh, shoot, I want to be doing what they're doing and be like, hey, do you have an opportunity where I can help? Like, like, it, the ser movido, the moving part, really, really helped so, so much. But you kind of need to believe that you have that potential in you. And so, like, it, it's, like, kind of two-pronged, right? Like, don't wait for somebody to validate how smart you are. You know, if somebody isn't validating how smart you are, it could be you're, that you're just not in the right environment. Um, and then the other one is, like, you know, move with it. Move with it. If you have a feeling about something, go test that theory. 